0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Mother-Daughter Team, Dr. Gloria, and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is grief, hope, and healing, and our guest is Dr. Darcy Sims. Dr. Darcy Sims is a brief parent and child and a grief management specialist. Darcy's sense of humor and clarity have made her a much sought after speaker. She is the author of a number of books and has recently co-authored The Crying Handbook with Dr. Robert Bauer. Darcy is president of Grief Inc., a grief consulting business, and is the director of training and certification for TAPS, tragedy assistance program for survivors of military loss. Welcome to the show, Darcy.
1: Thanks, Heidi. Nice to talk to you, and nice to talk to you, too, Gloria. Oh, yeah. It's great to have you on, Darcy. Well, you know, I think we kind of, uh, on this show, we kind of give our credentials as, as being, have, having gone through the grief journey. And I know uh, I've talked to you about your experience. Your dad was killed in an explosion, right?
2: Well, my, my father
1: was uh, in the
2: military, he was head of nuclear weapons division for the U.S. Army, and he died as a result of a nuclear weapons
1: explosion, yes. Wow. And and uh, you had a son die. Was he living when your dad died, or who died first? No, Big A. Um, our son Austin
2: died 33 years ago of a malignant brain tumor when he was just a little guy. And Dad, um, my husband, his dad, was uh, doing high-level bombing over Hanoi. So we've, we're a military family for many, many generations, and, and the military way of life and the military way of death are just part of our family.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I want to talk to you about TAPS too, because I think that's an amazing program that Bonnie Carroll runs, and and we certainly want to tell people about that program and what you're doing, doing with it. But um, you and I were talking about the show today, and one of the things we said was, let's talk about loss, not just uh, you know we've had these horrendous losses of children, and and uh, but what about you know loss of a job and all the other losses in the world that go on, and and what's going on with all that.
2: Well, I think as as we were chatting the other day on email, it just occurred to me that the world seems like it's almost spinning out of control a little bit, and there are so many losses. Of course, there's always death. We always think of, of grief and death in the same voice, but what about job loss? What about the coping with illness and injuries, no clear direction for anyone, no money, no resiliency. I think people are, are afraid again because we just don't know what's happening. We don't feel like we have any good resources of our own, and I think that's a universal grief. It isn't just about death. Grief is any time there's change, and we're certainly undergoing a lot of change at the moment.
1: Yeah, we certainly are. And and how do you cope with that? What do you suggest? I know you speak all over on, on a regular basis. What what is your thought about that? What is about that? What what do you find people need?
2: Well, I think the first thing we need is to not play bereavement one-upmanship, which is a game that a lot of people play in trying to say, I hurt more than you do. My grief is bigger than yours. Because, of course, we can't compare the loss of a job with the death of, of a loved one. But there are some elements that are common to all of us as we are grieving the changes we go through. And I think if we could just tap into how we have survived up until this point, what are the things that have worked for us? Can we go back to those things now at least as a starting point?
1: Yeah, so that that's kind of like we do have resources, don't we? Heidi, what's your thought about this?
0: I, I love that point. And I was going to say I work with so many clients that feel like I'm not going to survive, I'm not going to get through this. And I do exactly exactly what Darcy's saying. I have them go back to other points in their lives where they've had great adversity and overcome it. And we look at how they've done that. And I kind of build on those strengths to give them encouragement that they're actually a lot stronger than they realize. Absolutely. I think as soon as we get
2: into the mindset of I'm not going to survive this or this isn't survivable, we're doing ourselves a big disservice because we've all of a sudden said, well, I can't do that. And, of course, as soon as we say I can't, it gets much harder. And we can do things. We might not want to. This might be a very different kind of grief than we've ever had before. But we do have some coping skills that we've already used. We know some ones that didn't work, and we have some that have worked.
0: (laughs) And, and, you know, when Scott died, one thing that helped me was to look at other people who had had loss, and great adversity and had survived and had gone on to thrive and find hope again and kind of look at them and said, okay, they can do it, so maybe I can do it too.
2: Absolutely. I just think sometimes we talk about hope in the same breath with grief, and I I have those two married together, but I also want to remember that I needed time to hurt. I needed time to be sad and to feel helpless. I didn't stay there very long, but I also needed that time, that permission to say, wow, this, this is hurting. This does feel impossible. I know it's not, but I need that permission to also just be in the hurt for a little time.
1: Darcy said it's okay to grieve, right, Darcy?
2: Absolutely. I think it's very important that we recognize our ability to say, this hurts, and to give, our, give ourselves permission and to ask society to also have permission to have at least a little bit of time in the grieving space. I think sometimes we are so afraid of death. In fact, we don't even say people died in this country. We do everything but die. We pass on, we pass over, we kick the bucket, we buy the farm, <laughs> we lose people, but we don't die. I mean, we are so afraid of that word. But I think. We sometimes want to move too quickly into the celebration of life, and I am all for celebrating life. That is all that I am about. But I also need to know that at least for the first couple of days, weeks, months, who knows the time frame, I
1: need to hurt. I've earned the right to hurt. This is hard stuff. Right. It is tough. Uh, and, and we
0: need validation and acknowledgement that we do hurt and that that's okay. Absolutely, and, and for us to be able to tell our story, and not just to
2: one person, but to two people, to three people. I always think that bereaved people can talk more than one person can listen, so we need lots of listeners as we tell our story.
1: And you may have to put yourself in a setting where you can do that, like uh, Compassionate Friends uh, have a chapter that uh, they meet once a month and most uh, hospices have programs now there's quite a bit of aftercare going out uh, there so if you have had a loss and you need some kind of aftercare, you can go to your hospital and find out or whatever now I don't know about um, the, uh, there are divorce groups um, I don't know if there are self-help divorce groups do you guys know that
2: I don't know if there are any self-help divorce groups, but it's certainly an opportunity to start one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you can go to the Internet, and there's a lot going on uh, that you can find out about that, those types of losses. But with the death, you can usually find through hospice or whatever, somebody to tell your story uh, uh, to. And uh, you do need to tell your story over and over because you kind of rewrite your story. You know, you start giving up some of your anger. You start dealing with some of the pain. Um, telling your story can be a, a really good thing. What do you think about telling your story, Heidi?
0: I think it's really important to tell your story, and sometimes we need to do it in many, many different ways in order to kind of make it real for ourselves.
1: Yeah, it does bring it down to reality. Well, Darcy, I've heard you speak before, and, and I know one of the things that you used to say people get hung up on is the idea of I didn't get to tell them goodbye, and, and they seem to hold on to that. What's your thought on that?
2: Well, I think that's one of the greatest guilts that many people have, is they didn't have the opportunity or take the opportunity to say goodbye. And I, I, as a therapist, I used to have people sit across, you know, the chairs from me and say, I didn't get to say goodbye. And I kept thinking, I did get to say goodbye. I was very, very fortunate in that respect that I knew. Our son died of malignant brain tumor. My father died as a result of an explosion, but he didn't die immediately after the explosion. So there was time. And you know what I didn 't say goodbye. I said, "I love you. Why would I ever spend a single breath saying goodbye to someone I wasn't going to stop loving just because they died?
1: Mhm and And so that love idea what what are some of the ways that Heidi and you both of you feel free to chime in on this. What are some of the ways that you can say goodbye and I love you to somebody who's already deceased?
0: Well, I know with Scott, I didn't have a chance to say goodbye. And I love that idea, Darcy, that even if you have the chance, you're not going to do it because it makes me feel so much better. But for me, writing a letter to that person, writing a letter to Scott really helped me you don't have to mail them and
2: you don't have to write just one you can write a letter every time you want to talk to them or on a special occasion maybe you write a letter every year on their birthday or or at the holiday season or maybe you just send i still send my mother a mother's day card because she died just before mother's day and i had bought this beautiful card for her it was just such an awesome card very we usually buy really um snotty cards to each other, you know, humorous (laughs) kinds of things. And this time I wanted her to have a beautiful card. And you know what? I should have given it to her. She died two weeks before Mother's Day. Uh So I had to go out to the cemetery and deliver that card on Mother's Day. That taught me I don't have to wait for a special time to say, I love you. Mm -hmm. So whether you buy a card, whether you do a memorial service or you plant flowers or you donate to a college scholarship or you build a playground, Whatever you do, it's a living memorial. It says, I am so glad you are in my life. It isn't goodbye at all, because I don't think you stop loving someone. They're still a part of our lives, a different part, but they're still part of our lives.
1: And Darcy, where do you think people get most stuck in uh, grief when you've seen people that have maybe, and I'm not saying stuck in the first week, the first month, even the first year or two or whatever, but when you've seen people out there three or four years or even more and, and they seem to be really stuck, uh, where would you say that you think that happens?
2: Well, you know, I see that a lot, uh, Gloria. People about three or four years into their journey suddenly stop, and they're they're not hurting on an hourly basis anymore and yet they're still hurting enough that it it catches their their breath and by surprise and i think sometimes we're afraid to begin to heal because we think maybe if we don't think about them 24 hours a day or we don't hurt as terribly as we did we don't love them anymore and we're forgetting them And I think that that's an awful thought process for us to to even entertain for a moment. You couldn't forget them if you tried. You can send somebody away. That would be a divorce. But this person hasn't left you. They have changed their position, perhaps. We have transformed that relationship into something different than seeing them every day across the breakfast table. But I think people are afraid to move on because they're not quite sure what moving on means. And for a lot of people, I think they're afraid it means forgetting.
1: Yeah, that is a big fear. I've heard from people that they're afraid that that they'll forget them. But Heidi, you've made some comments on that before.
0: Well, I've just said that sometimes we hold on to the pain longer than we need to because we're afraid we're going to forget, and the pain kind of represents that person in some ways. And we just were so afraid that if we let go of the pain, we're going to forget the memories. And I always say the best memories for many people are yet to come. Because eventually you'll get to a point in your life where your grief and your sadness will not get in the way of your memories. So you'll really be able to think about that person visually and remember them without the the grief getting in the way.
2: Absolutely. I'm, I'm always asking people, what, what kind of a gift did you get from your loved one? And I, I don't mean gifts that we unwrapped under the Christmas tree or, or at Hanukkah or during Kwanzaa. I mean the gifts of spirit, the gifts of soul. Did you get love? Did you get friendship? Did you get laughter? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think people are afraid to laugh again because they'll think it's disrespectful. I think living in inordinate pain for the rest of your life is the disrespectful part. I think hurting. Moving through that hurt and finding a comfort zone when I know that I am still a mother, I am still a daughter, just because these people have, have died in my lifetime, they're still a part of me. And now we remember first the life, not
1: just the death. Yeah, I remember that. Do you remember the first time you laughed, Heidi?
0: Yeah, I do. And I did. I definitely, like Darcy said, I felt guilty. But it's a great way to celebrate and pay tribute to Scott. I mean, he was funny and he loved to laugh.
1: I remember uh, I was looking in the Wall Street — I mean, the New York Times on Sunday, and there was a picture of my husband. And it was about three months out, and I just started laughing. I thought it was so weird that he would be in the, in the newspaper and wouldn't tell me he was there. And it just struck me as so funny, but what surprised me was the sound of my own laughter. It was almost like a bell tinkling. Oh, what
2: a nice unusual. way to put it. I, we missed joy more than anything else in our lives after our son died. I miss the sound of his giggle. I missed the, the, the twinkle that he, he could light up a room with that smile. And I had to go get it back. I had to go find it. And it was hard to find. I used to look at pictures and, of course, sob. Just you know, It was horrible because I looked at the picture and said, I'll never get another one instead of looking at the picture and enjoying what the picture was about.
1: Mhm and that's but that 's a a natural thing to be in in looking at the past to start with, right Oh, absolutely. You look at the past, but we don 't have to stay in the past. I love your idea that
2: some of the best memories are yet to come, absolutely, especially when we start doing some of the crazy things to include our loved ones in our life right now.
1: Mm -hmm. And I heard someone recently talking about making collages. They went through and got pictures and and the different uh, ways that they were bringing up the memory. They were still in the past, but they were trying to pick some of the pleasant, happy memories to replace some of the ones that they had uh, dealt with during a long-term illness.
2: Absolutely. And, and Heidi, I'm guessing that that's what maybe some of the families from 9-11 are beginning to do now at at six, seven, and eight years, Mm -hmm. beginning to find some of the joy that they did share with their loved ones and bring it back.
0: Absolutely. They definitely are. In fact, one of my the kids that I work with said she was excited this year to pay tribute to her father because she knows he would have enjoyed it so much.
1: Well, it's time for us to go to break now. Heidi, did you just say we got an, e- an email
0: just came in? Yes, an email just came in, and it says, um, you are experts in treating people who suffer after their loss. Do you treat grieving people one-on-one or in group format? How would someone in your audience contact you if they were interested in your professional services?
1: Well, there you go. Heidi, do you want to take that? You, I, you're in private practice. Yes. I, right?
0: We can We can all take it in various forms. But yes, I have a private practice here in Manhattan on 72nd Street. And you can contact me by going to Open to Hope or through my email, which is drheidihorsley dr. at gmail.com. And I specialize in grief and loss, so I'd be more than happy to help you.
1: Now, as far as individual or group, um, you know, it's very interesting because uh, after Scott died, I was a therapist myself at the time. And um, so I was in the profession, worked at the University of Rochester and uh, at the nursing school, taught nursing students. And uh, one of the things that I found difficult is to do one-on-one with people who don't know much about grief and loss, because I ended up teaching the therapists around there how to treat me. I don't know. Darcy, what's your thought about individual versus group?
2: Well, I I had the same experience. I was also a a psychologist before our son died, and I knew I needed some support. My own training is, is good, but you cannot... Help yourself. And unfortunately, the first person I found burst into tears as I began just to open my uh, opening line in my story, and I ended up spending the hour comforting her. Mm-hmm. I decided I would not pay for that hour. But it was very difficult to find someone. Of course, that was 33 years ago. What I would suggest is if you are seeking individual support is to make sure that you interview a potential therapist and simply ask them, what is your training in Greek? An awful lot of people have read a book. That's not training in grief. And it's okay to shop for a therapist that has the skills that you're looking for. We spend more time buying a pair of shoes than we do looking for a therapist.
0: I I absolutely agree with Darcy. You need to have a good fit because if you're not comfortable talking to the person, it's not going to be a good fit, and you need to shop around. And I didn't realize that when when my brother died, and I went to someone and thought I had to stay with him. And it was a horrible experience, and all he wanted to do is explore my childhood when I needed to explore the crisis I was in, which was the sudden death of my brother. So, yeah, shop around. I totally agree, and find a good fit and find someone that is comfortable working in grief and loss and that's an expert. And be a little
1: bit careful, because uh, you might uh, get offered some antidepressants or Valium or sleeping pills or all sorts of things that, um, I don't know, I feel like some of them interfere with your grieving process, depending on your your history, so... Um, you might, you know, want to think about that. Um, but I also think that some people really benefit from groups tremendously. Group, uh, if you're with the right group, it can be an amazing experience. And I like Compassionate Friends because it's free and they meet once a month. And if you're a brief parent, grandparent, or sibling, uh, you can just drop in. And if you want to go, uh, it's recommended that people go three times. But you know, there's no obligation for you to come in and out. And Uh, you know, you can go uh, two years later, you can find a Compassionate Friends group. You can find them on the Internet at CompassionateFriends.org. So that's a good group. And then uh, you can find uh, groups through your hospital or whatever. So there
0: are groups. And my my sweet mate and I, Richard Back, we both run groups also. So you can come to us and you can join one of our groups. And some people, you can be in Compassionate Friends and be in another group. They don't compete with each other, so they're just completely different because Compassionate Friends is a support group of other people who have been there and had similar losses. Yeah, it's not a therapy group.
2: And you might want to also check with your local funeral homes. Many of them offer aftercare programs or at least have listings of local resources, whether it's parents of murdered children, survivor of suicide, um, widow-to-widow groups, Compassionate Friends, bereaved Parents USA. Many of the funeral homes, if they don't run their own groups, will have a listing of the local ones that you can tap into as well.
1: Yeah, so you, you can uh, find find the services you need, and sure, reach out. And you know, uh, the internet is great. I mean, we've got YouTube. Uh, we've got we're doing 75 YouTubes uh, with experts in the field of grief and loss. We try to put what they're about on our YouTube site, Open to Hope uh, YouTube. And you can find that from our Open to Hope site. And you can also read. We have over uh, 200 people writing for us. We have new material on our site every single day uh, on the Open to Hope Foundation site. And also the Grief Blog, you can blog us in there. And uh, we have uh, about 10 other blogs that you can go to. So there's the if you're not a person who likes groups, and also our 155 radio shows, you can listen to our archived there on uh, the Grief Blog. So you can take a look at that. So there are a lot of resources. If, uh, we particularly like our resources if it's, uh, you know, in the night or whatever, anytime it's there 24-7, right, Hyde?
0: Yeah, a lot of people, as, as we all know, grieve in the middle of the night when everybody's asleep and there's no place to go. So it's so nice to be able to log on to one of the shows and listen and know that others have been in your situation and hear what advice and information they have and s- so that you feel supported and you don't feel alone at 3 in the morning absolutely absolutely i think it's also important to remember that
2: we each are going to grieve very differently from each other there's no right way there's no wrong way there's certainly some ways that are more effective and maybe more efficient but to give ourselves permission to listen to all the advice and then to filter it through what feels right for us
1: absolutely well i i wanted to take another email we've got here um, it's from mary and mary says um... Oh, by the way, who, who was it that sent the last email? We want to thank you and tell people to email us because we're happy to answer the
0: questions. Who is that from, Hi. Okay, it says Arbat, New York.
1: Well, thank you very much. for. Oh,
0: it's Richard. Oh, thanks, Richard, for sending that email. Thank you, Richard.
1: Um, we got one here from Mary, and Mary says, uh, My mother just died of Alzheimer's. I didn't visit her last, for the last six months, so she didn't know me. And I'm feeling really guilty about it now. Uh, Do you have any thoughts? Hmm. Darcy, you want to take that? Oh,
2: (laughs) Mary, that's a a hard one because you're right. Your mom didn't know you anymore. And I'm sure that you gave her all the love and support that you could and that she knew that on some level. Uh, Trouble with Alzheimer's is they steal away. That disease steals away our loved one before they actually die. And so a lot of people have have made their goodbyes, have made their peace with themselves, and then when the actual death occurs, suddenly suffer this enormous guilt and said, I should have gone, I should have, I should have been there. But remember, she didn't know you were there anymore. You provided the very best in love and care for her by having her in a place where she was getting that good care. So you're still a good daughter.
1: Absolutely, Mary, you are, and, and sometimes people have other family members that give them a hard time, so if that's what's happening to you, no, hold on with what Darcy said. you got I, any thoughts uh, on it? Yes,
0: I do. I just want My heart so goes out to Mary because my mother-in-law right now has Alzheimer's, and it's fairly serious, and I think she's in the very last stages because she's forgotten how to swallow, so they said that's pretty much the last stages. And, you know, we have grieved. It's so interesting because we have grieved the loss of her even though she's still here because the person that we once knew is no longer here. So it's really a complex thing when you have someone that's dying of Alzheimer's and that had Alzheimer's. So my heart is there with you, Mary.
1: Yeah, take care, Mary, and thank you for emailing. And then we've got another one from John, and John says, My son just died, and I'm having difficulty going back to work due to crying. This is a good one for you. You just wrote something on that, didn't you, Darcy?
2: We did. Um, Dr. Bob Bauer and I had a great time writing the crying handbook, and one of the things we discovered, John, is that you can cry any any place that it occurs, but other people get very uncomfortable with it. So you have two choices. You can decide to stuff the tears while you're in public and worry about how other people feel, or simply go ahead and cry without any apology and simply say to someone when they look at you and say, you know, I really love my son, and it hurts right now. And crying is one of the ways that's helping me relieve some of that pain. These are tears because I love someone, and I'm really grateful that he was in my life, and I'm crying because right now I'm feeling sad that he isn't here right now.
0: I, I love that, Darcy. And My mom and I wrote a book with Eric Hipple, who was an NFL quarterback for 10 years, called Real Men Do Cry. So you can also tell them if you're a man, Real Men Do Cry.
1: Yeah, Eric talks about that and uh, talks about one of the things that Eric did, which I think, and he probably still does, his son um, uh, committed suicide, what, about eight years ago. And Eric uh, is the outreach coordinator for the University of Michigan Depression Center. And one of the things he does, this great big guy, is he has a candle. And in the evening, uh, when he's had a bad day, he goes down and lights the candle and cries for Jeff and um, sits down there with it. One of the things that also we've heard before is some people make really sad CDs, and if they want to you know, really get into it, they listen to their CD while they do their candle or whatever, but then they have some happy CDs when they want to go the other way, right, Heidi?
0: Exactly, because sometimes we want to be in a place where we're thinking about them in a different way, so it's nice to have different music for different moods that you're in.
2: Absolutely. One of the things that we discovered, however, if you start to feel like you're going to cry and you don't want to cry at that moment, whether you're in public or you're riding the bus or you're, you're trying to talk to your boss about something, we learned that if you will swallow... If you will just take a couple of swallows or if you can drink some, like take a drink of water or a cup of coffee, every time you swallow, you stop the crying mechanism. That doesn't mean you stop it permanently, but sometimes it's just not the right moment or right place. And, And if you try to stop it without doing the swallowing or changing your breathing patterns, it really starts to hurt a lot. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to stop your crying in the middle of tears, I want you to make sure you've made a date with yourself to do do what Eric did, either light a candle or sit down and listen to a CD in the future and say, okay, I can't cry right now, but tonight when I get home, I'll I'll pick up crying where I've left it off.
1: Yeah, another thing you can do, an opera singer actually put me onto this one, is yawn. Because, uh, you know, put your hand in front of your mouth and yawn, nobody, you know, minds or notices if you're yawning at a tape on it, and it opens up your throat. So uh, I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horst. How did you get yourself up off the floor?
2: Oh, there are days I'm still on the floor. I'm at least sitting up now. But, um, you know, I think the greatest key for me in finding hope was a, a real – choice point, a real determination. I finally realized I was going to have to go look for hope. It wasn't coming to me. Somebody, I think, at the funeral had said to me, if you'll just look for hope, and unfortunately I wasn't very nice, and I snapped back and I said, yeah, if I knew what it was, I'd go get it, which was, it was grief talking, but it it wasn't very nice of me. And I think it was maybe two or three years into our grief of our son's death when I was in the middle of telling my little story, my elevator speech, and I suddenly got tired of it. And I looked at the lady who was very kindly listening, and I said to her, his eyes are blue. And she looked at me and said, what? What are you talking about? And I said, I just want to tell you something about his life. I'm tired of the death story. And, and that was such a, an eye-opener for me that I could choose what I wanted to remember every single day. I couldn't forget about the death. I would not forget about the death. But I was forgetting about his life. And I decided that day forward I would always remember first that he lived, and I had to go search for good memories because I my mind had kind of blanked out some of the good memories. I literally had to go through the scrapbooks. I went to people and said, "Tell me a story that that you knew about our son. Tell me tell me a funny thing that that you remember as you related to him." And I began to collect the good stories again. And I have always made it a point now, whenever I'm I'm grieving the death of someone I love, to remember first that they lived, and it, it's a choice that we make.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I remember a a turning point, less intellectual in a way. I remember that uh, a couple of weeks after Scott died, I started to think that I'm not going to get sick. That's what I remember my thought. And I got my running shoes on, and I headed out the door, and I could just see all my neighbors looking out the window pointing at me saying, wow, she doesn't care. Look at her. And it, it's almost, a, you know, it, it really takes some courage to make those decisions to do that, to do other things and make other choices. Heidi, do you remember a turning point for you?
0: Oh, I don't know if I remember one. Um, hmm.
1: I remember your choice to go on outward bound.
0: Yeah, that's that was definitely a turning point. I mean, I don't know if it was a turning point, but I did go on Outward Bound about three and a half months after my brother died and he had been on it the year before and it was extremely hard and it was... it well, was. tell a, people
1: what it is. You climb mountains and backpack and...
0: You do. It's, it was a month survival program in the Colorado mountains and it was the hardest physical thing I've ever done. The hardest emotional thing I've ever done is definitely to lose my brother. Um, the great thing was it was so hard that I spent a month crying and everybody thought I was crying over the program. I was crying over Scott. So <laughs> it was a, That was a wonderful part of it. But, um, yeah, and it was a great way to remember him because he had been there the year before.
1: Well, Darcy, uh, before we close the show, I wanted to uh, know, is, is, you're a speaker. How can people get in touch with you if they want you to come and speak?
2: Well, it's very easy. They can just come to our website, which is traditionally, like all of them, Grief. INC.com for griefincorporated.com. They can just, um, you know, come to the website, they can connect with us through there and see all the resources and things that we have as well.
0: And I just want to say something Darcy is the most dynamic speaker I've ever seen. <laughs> While she is speaking, you will laugh, you will cry, you will go through every emotion in the entire world. She is fabulous, so I would highly recommend her. Absolutely. Oh, well,
1: thank you, Heidi. I appreciate that. And talk to us about TAPS a little bit, what you're doing with them, and, and tell people uh, what it is.
2: Well, TAPS is the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. It was founded in 1994 by a wonderful woman, Bonnie Carroll, whose husband had died as a result of a military training accident. And TAPS is a family-run, it is not government-supported in any way, it is a family-run support group for anyone who has experienced the death of a military member in any way and at any time. It is not just for war-related deaths. We have deaths due to training accidents, to homicide, suicide, illnesses, fall over in the middle of the mowing the lawn of a heart attack. And it is a peer-based one-on-one support group. That is, is worldwide. We have websites. We have chats. We have conferences. We have regional seminars once a month all over the country. And it's very, very easy to find us at www.taps.org. And it will tell you all about us. I'm the director of training and certification so that all of our peer mentors are trained and certified so that you can rest assured we are not therapists, although many of them are therapists, but we serve in a self-help capacity. This is one-on-one support from someone who has walked in shoes very similar to yours.
0: And we've had Bonnie Carroll on our our Healing the Grieving Heart radio show, and you can go on to our grief blog, www.thegriefblog.com and listen to Bonnie Carroll's show in our archive shows.
1: Yeah, and uh, let people know if they have been in the military and need support, because I just don't think people know about this. It's such an unusual, unusual organization.
2: Absolutely, and it's not just active duty military. It's also for the Guard and for the Reserves. And, again, it's not just war-related deaths. It's any death in
1: military service. That's great. Well, Darcy, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been great to talk to you, and thank you for being on the board of the Open to Hope Foundation.
2: Well, my pleasure. I'm looking forward so much to being a part of that wonderful association, and good luck with the rest of the show. I think it's an incredible thing to be able to reach out to people in the comfort and safety of their own home so that they can find hope and healing.
1: Thanks, Darcy.
0: Thanks, Darcy, for being on our first show. We appreciate it.
1: We do indeed. Well, Heidi, what a great show today.
0: It was. It was wonderful. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.